All right, good morning, everybody. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and uh, the time we get to spend in it right now. Amazing book, Lord. Help us to understand it and receive everything you have for us. Um, it'll be a long, it'll be five months, Lord, in this book. And um, um, parts of it, we understand you give us insight into things that we don't get insight into any other place in Scripture. But there's other parts where we have to listen to Job's friends and the bad advice and the misunderstandings and, and all. And um, those are going to be tedious for us, Lord. Um, I think it's on purpose. So it'll help us to receive that as well. Um, we want everything. And so we pray by your Holy Spirit you would teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in the book of Job this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Job, 42 chapters five of which I enjoy teaching. I love the whole book. I do. I do. But the idea of five months in this book, honestly, sometimes it's like, maybe we should go to Revelation and then come back to this later on. Or, you know, some of the things we say in our day, naked I came into this world, naked I'm going to leave. Well, that comes from this book. And we're going to get it in context, though. Um, many things, idioms that we say, little things that we've picked up on and use in Christianese are in this book. And so very valuable to understand the context. This book, I think, in my life, is probably the most influential, or what it influenced the most about my walk with the Lord, maybe that's a better way to put it, is... Um, my relationship with God in, in, as far as a perspective goes, who he is and how much he's over and how little control I have over most of it. Um, and I think that's what this is designed to do. Now, uh, we just got back from Branson. We went down there Thursday, Friday, and came back last night and enjoyed um, Jesus at Light, Sights and Sounds down there. I don't know if you've ever been to that theater down there in Branson. It's just, we, we thoroughly enjoy it. It's just a, a Broadway-level productions of, of Christian stories and things like that. And so we loved this one. It was Jesus and the sets were amazing and all. And what I, what I, and I don't want to, we don't need to go over all of it, but um, what they said was we had to pour over the gospels. This is how they started the, the, the performance. We poured over the gospels and we immersed ourselves in it and, and came, the word kept coming up, rescue, rescue. And so we anchored ourselves on rescue. And here's my point, because of the multitude of directions we could have gone with Jesus's life. And I think that's important. So when we go through Job, there's a multitude of directions we could go. And this will not be comprehensive <laughs> at all. You'll need to do your own studies. And, and when you go through it, you'll receive different things and different aspects of Job's life. But for me, um, as I go through this with you and we go over this for the next uh, 20 plus weeks uh, or more, <laughs> depending on how fast I go or, uh, or whatever, um, please understand it's a perspective and it's a, it's, 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 there's so many other things that we could get out of this. So uh, that's where we start. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And what we mean by that is the oldest published book. Um, obviously, uh, Genesis gives us the story of the beginning, but Genesis, we believe the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. And so this book, we believe Job was written prior to Moses writing those first five books. Um, and so Job happens somewhere, we believe, the, 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 the time frame here is somewhere in the uh, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob era, um, after Adam and after Eve and so on, but not uh, after the law. Um, the law is not mentioned in here, no priests or anything. So the relationship we see Job have with the Lord is very similar to what we see maybe what Seth would have had with the Lord or even uh, Abraham would have had with the Lord. Um, just a personal relationship with him with sacrifices and all, just like Adam and Eve and so on. So that's kind of our time frame. So Job, a very old book. It's a first book of the poetry books and not poetry like we enjoy uh, as Americans for the most part. If we've ever studied any kind of other poetry from other eras or nations. Um, I, 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 like, I like books that rhyme, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I like rhythm and I like rhyme, and I thoroughly enjoy those books. And we've got a couple books that I just, you know how you read to your kids certain kinds of books? The, there are these, uh, Pete, I can't remember, I can't remember his first name. Anyway, Pete's his last name, writes these great books. And I can just read these to the kids, and I can do the voices and, and all, and I just love them. Then there's other books. This isn't like that kind of poetry. So it, Jewish poetry, or it's not really Jewish because this is, this is pre-Israel, um, um, but it's, uh, it builds upon itself. Like when you read the Psalms, um, there are six things that the Lord hates. No, there are seven, you know, Da, 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 you know, to a crescendo. So that's kind of what this is like. So when we read here in this <laughs> first chapter, when Job's all his stuff gets taken away from him, uh, it goes while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking. And so it's just this wave of information coming at you. And the idea behind that poetry is designed to make you feel the absolute utter despair Job is being brought into through the loss that's being. Uh, communicated to him okay so that's that's the idea um it's a great book i love it um so verse one there was a man in the land of us whose name was job and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared god and shunned evil and seven sons and three daughters were born to him also his possessions were seven thousand sheep three thousand camels five hundred yoke of oxen five hundred female donkeys in a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of uh, feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of, all, of them all, for Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did regularly. A lot there. There's a lot there. Job, um, in our day and age, would be in the billionaire category, just so you understand what we're talking about here. The greatest of the East, not only in money, but in power and in influence. He's in the billionaire category, Okay. Uh, most of us don't know what that's like. Some of you may know what that's like. You should tithe often. 10%. <laughs> it's all we want. Just, no. Um, but that helps us understand that you can be an upright person and be rich. A lot of people don't think that's possible, but it is. God makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. He's just a, a very good uh, businessman who does his part, but also is blessed by God. And that 
That's up to the Lord what he does. He never gives us more than we can bear, we say, during our hard times. But he also never gives us more than we can handle or bear as far as riches go, too. So keep that in mind. This man was able to keep an upright heart even in that category. And that would be a difficult thing to do for most of us. Um, A lot of us uh, wouldn't be able to handle this. He has learned how to handle the, the pressures and the responsibilities that he has you know, we think about the stuff, but he is the CEO of a very large corporation. Um, he's not even a, it's not even a corporation. He's the operator owner of a very large small business, you know, mom and pop operation that's grown in a, a tremendous way, a very large household. In other words, he's responsible. There is no insurance. There is no anything like that. There is no guarantee, um, that he's going to be able to take care of his household or his employees or his family from day to day. Um, He has a very big responsibility. And he knows that, and it's obvious in this text, because he shares with us that he's very much in communication with God at all times. He understands where his hope lies, where where his blessings come from. He acknowledges that. And so he has a lot. When it says he's blameless and upright, it doesn't mean that he's perfect. It means that he's complete. That that was really the whole point of the law, was to show that we are not complete. We do lack, but the law, the sacrifices, the rituals that we go through make us complete. So God could still look upon the nation of Israel and have communication with them based off of the sacrifices they made for their sins. And so God made a way through the law to have a relationship with the people. Otherwise, there was a broken relationship. That's the whole point of Adam and Eve. When they're hiding in the garden, God could not communicate with them and have a relationship with them until the animal sacrifice was made and they had skins covering them. The blood had to be shed. The atonement had to be made for their sins so that the communication could continue. Fig leaves wouldn't do it. So that's what the law did. And so Job understands that. All the stuff that I have, all the people in my life, all the responsibilities that I care for, although I need to run day-to-day operations, I understand that wisdom, blessings, abilities, giftings, all those things come from God, and he acknowledges that. Now, based on what we read here, it, it indicates that the children may not be walking as closely with God as Job does. And that's all a parent can do is be an example. You can Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. We know that scripture, quote that scripture, hope on that scripture, but we have many, many examples of kids that do walk away from the Lord. Now, they come back, hopefully. Maybe when they're older, maybe that's what that scripture means. When they're older, they do return to the Lord, and they have not forsaken him completely, or they always have that in the back of their mind, like the prodigal son. They always know they can go to the father's house. A return. All I know is that Job has done his best to be an example. He's lived his life in such a way that his kids would know that. The fact that they go to each other's houses and feast and would drink is fine. There's nothing wrong with having family nights, family dinner, Sunday dinner, you know. But they're doing this every day of the week. And maybe that's one of the downfalls of having that kind of wealth, is that the kids aren't exactly working as hard as they would if they didn't have that kind of wealth handed to them or around them all the time. Growing up in that environment, it isn't Job's fault. How do you raise your kids 
without having them in that environment. That's not his fault. It's up to the kids to respond to that environment in such a way they understand like their dad understands that that environment was given to them by God. And if they don't attribute to that and they think it's entitlement or they think it's because of luck, well, then these things can happen. People can fall away from their grounding, their anchor in the Lord. And it seems to appear anyway that this is the case because Job was very concerned that while they're doing these things that they were sinning against God in their heart. Maybe not outwardly, but they were cursing him. The same word here uh, is the same word we're going to hear in verse 11 when it says, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you. That will be Satan's accusation to God that we can get Job to curse you. And so Job is concerned that that's taking place in their kids' hearts, so he is offering up sacrifices regularly, praying for them regularly, that these adult children might not sin against the Lord. And I think a lot of us can identify with that. I, I, I can't yet, I, but I'm always aware that that's a possibility. I don't think my children are, I don't, I don't oh, Lord, watch out, you know. I think they're off sinning. I don't think that's the case. I really think they all have a personal relationship with Christ. At least their life shows that they do. That's all the thing I can examine, but only God knows their hearts. But I do pray for my kids. I do pray for them often. I, that's never stopped. I do pray for my boys, especially, to be able to provide for their families, to take care of them. It's tough, you know. Um, I pray for my daughters-in-laws and my and my daughters that, they're able to be the women, the godly women that God calls them to be from Scripture, even in this world. And you look at this world, and you just say, I don't, know, I don't know how they're doing it, God, but I'm so thankful that they are, you know. They're so saturated. There's so much going on around us. I'm not defeated, but, boy, I do understand it's a battle. And so I join them in prayer, whether they know it or not, and I pray for them. Job is praying for them because he's not so sure that all that's taking place in their life. That's a hard thing. It isn't evident. It isn't obvious to him that they're not sinning in their heart. So he offers up sacrifices for them. Is that possible? Well, they offered up a, a lamb for the nation. They will in the law. And they offered up lambs for the family, for the tribes, and so on. We know that that's going to be in the law the later on. So there is sort of a precedence here that you can set up and, and pray for other people and offer sacrifices for them. It doesn't change their hearts, though. That's something that they're required to do. Now, that gives us the background of what's going on on earth. Here's Job. Here he is, man from Uz, very wealthy, 10 kids, and they seem to be stable at least. Verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. At this point, Satan is fallen. We don't know when that exactly took place, but we understand that even at the garden, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he was present in causing children of uh, the humans anyway to, not the angels, but the humans at this point to stumble and to fall and to walk away from God and to be deceived by him. So he was already in full 
deception mode. So he's been found out, but he's still able, apparently, to go up to heaven. He still has access. He hasn't been cast out yet, which we read in other passages of Scripture where he's cast to the earth and he cannot return anymore. There is no more walking around amongst the throne of God when God calls him. We learn from this also that God and Satan are not equal. They're not competitors. They're not peers. That's a big misunderstanding, I think, that uh, novice Christians have, that they've got a Satan on one side and God on the other. That's not true. Now, you may hear the voice of Satan telling you to do things you shouldn't do, but that doesn't mean that they're equal, okay? Jesus and Satan aren't equal, even. And that is where the Jehovah's Witness get it wrong as well. Uh, they believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel and that they are equal and that God preferred Jesus' plan over uh, over Satan's plan or Lucifer's plan. And so that's why Lucifer is so upset is God the Father didn't choose his plan. They're a cult, okay, flat out. They do not believe in the same Jesus we believe in. So um, they believe Jesus or Jesus is created and not God come in the flesh. So um, that being said, Jesus and Satan aren't equal because we understand from Hebrews and from many other scriptures that Jesus has always been with the Father and that Jesus is God come in the flesh. Um, we also learn from this that Satan's able to or is required to, when called upon, present himself to God. He's still under his authority. That's one of the reasons or one of the uh, tells that we have that shows us that he's not equal to the Lord. A little disturbing that he's showing up at these meetings, <laughs> but there he is. It also shows that God has control and ultimate authority over all that Satan can and can't do. Um, one of the things we use in Christianity when we pray over people is we pray a hedge of protection, right? And this is where we get that from. And we're going to discuss that hedge right here, that God does put up a hedge. We it's a wall, it's a, it's a protective barrier, it's a, it's a limiting of what God or what Satan can do and what he can't do in someone's life, okay? And so Job has this protection around him where Satan can't touch everything. He can only touch a few things. And God is going to give him permission to touch a little bit more and a little bit more, but he always gives Satan his limits, and Satan has to obey God. We saw that with Jesus when the wind and waves obey Jesus. The demons have to leave when Jesus tells them to leave. There's a lot of obedience there. They just, they do. They're going to go where they're told to go. They're going to be allowed to move where they're allowed to move. This is both concerning but also comforting at the same time. In my life, Satan can only touch me as much as God allows him to touch me. And knowing that, Although I don't want to be touched by Satan at all, I prefer him a million miles away from me. If I do have that happen to my life, I understand from this book and from this understanding in chapter 1 that this is allowed. I've been nominated. I've been, I'm being used by God to prove something, to test something, to show the heart as much as I'd rather he pick somebody else, it is his prerogative and his sovereignty to do so. And I accept that. There are many 
young believers, new believers, novice believers who are just walking with the Lord who want their lives to be perfected. They want stability financially. They want complete and total health. And they want everything around them set up like it's supposed to. You know, it's supposed to be this way. This is the way it is. This is the way I want it. And when it's not like that, they struggle with their faith. And I understand that. I mean, I do. I'm not, I'm not faulting them for that. But I do want you and everyone to understand that's a, that's a, 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 a new believer problem. This book is designed to teach us that we are, we are a creation of God. In other words, you didn't exist, you wouldn't exist without God deciding for you to exist. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He designed you there. He gave you the nose that you have, <laughs> like it or not. He gave you the hair color that you have, like it or not. He gave you the eye color that you have, like it or not. He gave you the shape, size, height that you have, like it or not. That's what he did. He designed you. We change as much of that as possible to suit our needs, you know. And maybe that's, maybe that's arrogance or maybe that's just personal choice and God allows it. I don't know. But knowing that, first of all, that we're created because of him gives us an obligation to him automatically. It should. A thinking man or a thinking woman understands that if God is created, I'm beholden to him. I can't go on and exist without him. I wouldn't exist without him. I can't go on to exist without him. I exist within him. I exist within his creation. The world is his. The galaxy is his. The universe is his. All other galaxies are his. The entire known, I call creation, but a lot of people don't call it creation. Everything known is his. And so for me to be upset with him or to say I don't like you or to say I'm not going to follow you or obey you is, is truly a five-year-old folding his hands and standing in the corner of his parents' house. Come to the table and eat. I'm not eating. Okay. You're going to starve to death in the corner. You need to get out of the corner and come eat. There is no food over there. There is no food any place. You're too little. You can't make your own food. You can't find your own food. You can't get your own food. It's, it's our house. I'm mad at you. Well, you can be mad at me all you want. This book is designed to get us to that place of understanding and so that we don't waste any time in the corner being mad at God for something that he's done or not done in our lives. We need to grow up and mature up. My health is not guaranteed. There is no guarantee of our health. There is no guarantee that my kids are going to live to a ripe old age. There's no guarantee that I'm going to live to a ripe old age. I get dizzy a lot. We went on roller coasters down at Silver Dollar City. Hopped on a roller coaster like I always hop on a roller coaster. I've never read the signs that say if you have this medical condition or that medical condition, nor have I gone to a doctor to tell me what kind of medical condition I have because I don't want to know. <laughs> but I get off this roller coaster and I'm encouraging my son. And I bend over to get off my flip-flops because you have to take the flip-flops off because they'll go flying. The roller coaster is so crazy. I bend over to get my flip-flops, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a little dizzy. It's a high blood pressure. I got some clogness going on here, a little cholesterol, too much bacon. I'm running this all through my mind and pretending like everything's okay as I'm holding on to my son for stability. The age of 50, where's that coming from? 
never been that. I mean, I've been sick on a roller coaster, but never. There's no guarantee of this stuff. We're frail people. We're soft. We're squishy. We just are. This book is designed to give us that perspective and to help us to understand we live in his world. And for us to complain that we live in his world is to complain that we exist and wish that he never made us, which Job's going to get to here and eventually. That's all we have. There is no other place to go. There is no other God to serve. There is no other way of salvation. There is no other creation. There isn't. And for us as people within this for lack of a better term, terrarium that he's placed us in, for us to say over here in the corner that we're not in this terrarium, that we evolved from nothing or that uh, we came from goo or that God didn't make us, is, you can believe all that you want, but you're living in his terrarium that he made with his hands and you are built by him and every part of you is built by him. This book is designed to bring us to that place of understanding, because it will help us. When you grasp that, you spend a far less time pouting about what's not happening in your life or what should have happened in your life or what is happening in our lives. We begin to just be thankful for what we have. Left, maybe. At least I can still see, maybe. I, can, I have some hearing left. I'm able to walk. I'm able to breathe. I'm above ground. I mean, I don't know how far we have to go here, but I'm thankful. So Satan lets us know also in this section, and God lets us know in this section, that Satan is active. And he's going to and fro across the earth. We know from another passage he uses these exact same words. But he says, well, he doesn't say it, but they, they say it about him. He's a roaring lion who... Is going to and fro across the earth, the seeking whom he can devour. Remember that is his goal. It's always strategic. He is always looking. He is always trying to find a way to destroy, to eat, to kill, to bring into his compliance, to make him God of that person's life. And he's very strategic about it. When things, when he can't touch people's lives, he'll kill them like he did Stephen. When he can touch people's lives, he will convince them like Demas, one of Paul's fellow workers in the gospel who forsook the gospel and returned to the world. He, he can get us lots of different ways. That's what he does. Martyrdom, which is all of Satan, is usually the best way because it usually brings many, many more people to Christ. But if he can get us to renounce Christ, which is what he's going to try to do here with Job, to renounce the Lord... They could do far more damage. This is a great man with a great many responsibilities, with a bunch of people that look up to him. If they can, if God, Satan knows he can knock him off his pedestal or knock him off his game, he can knock a ton of people down with him. That's the goal. So verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? 
Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land? But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. He will curse you to your face. The accusation is he only loves you because you give him stuff. Because he's got his health, which he hasn't, he's not going to touch this chapter. He'll touch that next chapter. But I mean, who wouldn't be happy if there were, I mean, billionaires are generally happy. Money doesn't buy happiness, but it certainly takes a lot of the pressure off of life. Gives you room, you know. You put a hedge of protection on him. Everything he touches, you blessed. And that's why he does it. You take that stuff away, he'd curse you. That's the only reason he likes you. It's the only reason he worships you is because of the stuff he has. Which is a question for all of us. That's the point of the book. Are you okay with nothing? Are you okay with it all being taken away from you? There are a lot of external forces that are going to show themselves in Job's, Job's life. It isn't God necessarily taking away. It's God removing the hedge, and the forces rush in from the world and begin to remove from his life everything that God's blessed him with. Nothing he can do about it. It's out of his control. He's literally going to be sitting there and just getting news. Oh, these guys raided your camp, and they stole everything. Oh, you know, your kids, well, they all died. All, the house fell in on them. They all, they all perished in one of those parties they were having. All these external things. No property insurance. No health insurance. No life insurance. None of these things prevent or exist, actually. But So Satan accuses God, and he is the accuser, and he's always wrong. That Job worships the Lord and serves the Lord and fears the Lord because you've given him stuff. You let me take that stuff away from you and I can get him to curse you to your face. That is the proposal. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from his presence, from the presence of the Lord. Mm. Job gets nominated. God has confidence in Job's heart. No, that's not why he worships me. It is a blessing, and he does thank me for it. But if he took all that away, he's not going to curse me. We still have a relationship. Job's priorities are correct. Job understands my relationship with God is the most important thing, the most valuable thing in my life. Second most valuable thing are my family. The third most valuable thing is maybe the stuff, but I knew that's a tool to be used, to be a blessing, to employ other people, to help other people, to, to make sure everybody's blessed around me. And so you can take away that ability to bless other people, or take care of other people, or even take care of myself, but that doesn't mean that my family's lost or that I'm lost. You can take away my family from me, all of them, but that doesn't mean that the most valuable thing has been taken from me, and that's my relationship with God. It has to be that way in our lives as Christians. It has to be that way. There is no way to prepare yourself for a moment that Job's about to have here in these next few verses. There is no way, but we still need to prepare our hearts for that moment. We need to try anyway. I'm not saying that we have to go through the imaginations, you know, game that we play, but the Bible says that the Lord trains my hands and my fingers for war and for battle. It's very important. And, and anybody that's ever been in a war will tell you from combat experience, they'd say it was nothing like training. And yet, we train. 
The military generals and everybody that's ever been in combat before didn't say, well, what's the point of training? It's nothing like this. No, we still handle our rifles. We still do everything we can possibly do without actually coming into combat to get as close and as ready as possible. And yeah, there's a whole lot more to learn in the moment, in the battle itself, but we can do everything we can do now. At least you won't have to remember where your firing pin is or how to take apart your weapon or how to clean it or how to clear a jam because you've done that over and over and over again. It's going to be muscle memory for when the fog of war hits and you're actually in combat. Those things don't have to be learned. You've got those things. God, is, as Christians, has called us to prepare ourselves He tells us to read his word. He tells us to pray. I do all that. Keep practicing and training. Because when life hits you hard, it'll be your go-to. It'll be muscle memory. You'll immediately cry out, oh God. Oh God, help. It won't be some weird thing that you have to look up. What am I supposed to do in these situations? No, you've been practicing this. Job has a relationship with the Lord. He doesn't know if his kids are sinning, but he's always offering up sacrifices for them. He doesn't know where their hearts are, but he's doing what he can do. He's, he's proactive in his relationship with God, but with his spiritual upbringing, upbringing of his kids. He is feeding and exercising the most important aspect of his life, which is the worship of God. When people neglect God and they neglect their relationship with God for too long, when they starve that area of their life and they coast for too long, when it comes and life comes hard and fast, that muscle memory is there. In fact, there's muscle atrophy that takes place. Christian spiritual muscle atrophy. If you don't know what that is, if you've ever seen anybody with a cast, I remember Tanner when he had broke his arm. Was his arm or was his leg? It was his leg. And they took the cast off, and wasn't it about half the size of the other leg? And I'm looking, I'm going, oh, man, dude, you better start running or something or do something. There was muscle atrophy because you don't lose it. And that was only five months, four months. I don't remember how long it was. Anyway, three months maybe. It's fast. This muscle atrophy took place, you know, the shrinkage we've got to exercise our spiritual muscles. We've got to be ready. Do some push-ups, spiritual push-ups. Do some spiritual squats, you know. Get yourself ready for these things because the last thing you want to do is have to prepare in war. Job is prepared for what's about to hit him. It's going to hit him hard, and there's no way to exactly get it right before it happens. But when it happens, at least he's as prepared as he could be for it. Satan has left the presence of the Lord. God has given permission for him to touch everything but his own person. And so here goes Satan. Verse 13, now there was a day, one day, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabines raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have uh, killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
Satan leaves just one person alive to make sure the bad news gets to Job. Okay. Business loss, right? It's a serious hit. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Odd. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. It's a lot, obviously. Satan hit him as hard as God possibly allowed him to hit him. Hardest punch he could throw, hoping to knock him out with this one punch. Not slowly so that he can get used to the idea, mourn over the loss of that part of his business, recover, mourn over the loss of that part of his business, recover, but just a constant barrage of blows and punches to Job's life to bring him down. I've watched people go through similar things, not to this extent. But maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you are somebody like that. But it's like not just cancer or not just the death of a loved one or not just, and I'm not saying, I'm not minimizing those, those things at all. Those are huge. But it just seems like some people get hammered hard. And I'm looking and I'm remembering the scripture. God never gives you more than you can bear. And I'm looking at him going, That's a lot. And as a pastor, you pray and you, oh, God, help me minister to them because I can't come up to them and say, I know how you feel. I have no idea what that must be like. I imagine I train for that. I prepare for that. I know what God's word says about that. I have not experienced that before. And I cannot imagine what you're going through right now. But it isn't hopeless. I know that from God's word. And all I can share is what God has shared. All I can share with them, like another brother or soldier in God's army, is here's what we've been training for. Here's what his word says. Here's what we do. Remember this. Remember that. Remember your training. But it's up to them to whether they exercise that training or not and use it. It's all you can do. Learning how to counsel somebody like this is a very important thing. Hopefully you'll never run into this situation where you need to come alongside somebody like this and minister to them because it's very difficult. And But if it does come down, this book tells us exactly what not to say. There's going to be three of his friends that show up here in these next few chapters that are going to try to counsel him, and they do a miserable job of it. A lot of assumptions. Job has done nothing wrong. Job has not sinned greatly. He has offered up sacrifices. He's a complete man. He's done everything spiritually he's supposed to do. This is happening for a different reason. This is spiritual warfare. This is God and Satan working something out. And some would say, well, you know what? Work it out with somebody else. But that's not our call. 
When I present my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, I present my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. He can do with me what he wants to do with me. When I become a born-again believer and accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I was already a dead man. The fact that I was a walking dead man waiting for my sentence in hell, and God has delivered me from that, I now live my life for him to do with my life. If I'm alive still and I'm not going to hell, you can do with my life whatever you want to do with it. This may be it. Great. Thank you. At times, the apostles got arrested and let go, arrested and beaten and let go, or like Stephen, were martyred. God spent their lives and used their lives as much or as little as he wanted to do because they gave them their lives. As, a, as someone who ministers the gospel to people and shares the gospel, as you all do, make sure you add that to this. I think it's very important that we don't give them the idea that if you come to Christ, he's going to heal you of all your ailments. He's going to give you and bless you, and your life will never be the same. You'll have stuff beyond. That's health and wealth doctrine. That's the, that's the danger of prosperity doctrine that goes through the church at times and is existing on TV and everywhere else. In fact, in St. Joe, that church is very dangerous for people's faith. It prepares them for failure. It trains them for failure. And they're much like these counselors that say, well, this wouldn't be happening to you if you had more faith. Those are Job's counselors that are wrong that say those things. They built an entire church down there based off of those assumptions. And people grow up in that church and they can't figure out, well, why is this happening? And I don't want to be the Debbie Downer and always be the guy saying, Look out, here comes another shoe. It's going to drop in your life. It's not how I want to live, but I, I do understand I'm, I'm in a war. We're in a war. And if there is peace, I thank God for it. But I'm also very aware that my enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to eat my children. He wants to kill my family. He wants Jenny and I separated, divorced. He wants my kids to walk away from the Lord. He wants them to start seeing things on PBS and start seeing things in Disney that, it, that, that they get used to. I'm so proud of Bo. I, I like Despicable Me. I like those movies. They're pretty funny. I've watched them several times, and I'm an old man, and I am not as alert as I used to be. But Bo is watching Despicable Me 3 up there, and he shuts it off, and he comes downstairs. He goes, I can't watch that show anymore. I'm going through I'm like, what is in Despicable Me 3 that is so bad? During one of the celebrations, two of the minions that are supposed to be boys were kissing. He says, no way. No way. Not watching it. Not doing it. All right. Good for you, buddy. He understands that that little bit, that one thing is just meant to start the kids saying, this is normal. This is okay. And it's not. And it's not Okay. And we're seeing more and more of that creeping into these young kids. We're seeing more and more of that come in through all these wonderful shows that we used to, oh, yeah, that's safe. That's fine. Yeah, oh, that's good. It's not anymore. That is the front line now. Maybe it always has been, and I haven't been aware of it, but my son's aware of it, and he recognizes it. My daughter would say, can we watch this Hallmark? I'm like, oh, Hallmark shows. Oh, I mean, come on. Does this one have any guns in it or anything, you know? Wicked sinner here. 
but I've learned to appreciate her choices and the guarding of her heart on her own. Very thankful for that. Satan's prepared for this. He's prepared to attack. Job is prepared for this. And God says Job is prepared for this. And that's very important. So, after he hears all this, Job, verse 20 says, he arose, he tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. Didn't complain. He worshipped God at the sound of all of this news. Didn't shake his fist, didn't go to the corner, didn't pout. He worshipped It was his go-to. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, he's not happy about it. Make no mistake about it. That's the shaved head and the torn clothes thing. It is a time for mourning for him. It's okay to mourn during this time, to understand that. And he gets it. But he knows the most important thing that I am going to do right now is what I say, what comes out of my mouth. And so this is what he proclaims out loud. Naked I came from my mother's womb. I didn't have anything when God brought me into this world. And anything I have from that point, that naked point on, is all given by God anyway. And my life is his. It always has been his. I understand where I live, who I am in relationship to God. If he wants to take it all away, it's his to take. Job has never taken ownership, possession, rights to the things that have come into his life. My kids, I'm a custodian of my kids. That's all I am. I'm their father. I love them. I'll care for them like my father in heaven has cared for me. But they're his children. They're his to keep safe. I will do my part. I will provide for them. I'll do everything Scripture tells me to do as a good steward of something that God's given me. But if God wants to take them away, they're his to take. That's the hardest part about this whole book, I think, for me. We're talking about what's happening to one man, but do you realize how many people just died here? Died to see if Job's heart was going to change or be moved against the Lord. That's the hardest part of the book. We all put ourselves in the position of Job, and I think we're supposed to say that, okay, if I was Job, what would I do? Well, what if you were just one of the guys watching the sheep that got burned up with fire so that Job's heart could be proven? I could be used that way in this world also. So many things are happening here. God's not being cavalier about it. The focus is on Job for sure, but he is. There's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of animal loss. There's a lot of property loss. There's a lot of innocent lives lost. Innocent. Collateral damage. Just to see what Job will do. God's perspective is eternal. And I think we need to understand that. If anything, this book teaches us that. On my goal, our goal should not be that this world, that this life, that these hundred years that we have on this earth, if you live that long, are the best possible, easiest possible, most blessed possible time I ever have in my whole life. That's coming. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, your eternity is going to be that. Everything you'd ever hoped for. 
And we want God's will done here on earth. We pray that all the time, but it isn't a lot of times. This is more of a, it's not everything. It's more of a pupa stage, you know? You think about the life cycle of any kind of, of a, of a butterfly maybe. This is a caterpillar stage down here. We're all walking around and we're all eating and we're all doing the best we can. We're all getting closer, but eventually we've got a chrysalis. We've got to go into a cocoon. Every one of us has to go through that process, and then we wake up, and we're, we're the butterfly. We're in heaven. We're there where we're supposed to be. That's the whole point of this place. We're trying to have a butterfly life down here as a caterpillar. That's later. We've got to keep that perspective. It prepares us. To be able to say in this time of crises right here, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. That's not just the ideal. That's not like Jesus did that. Well, yeah, that's Jesus. This is Job. He's like us. And we'll be able to do that as well. I thought maybe we get into chapter 2. We're not going to be able to get there. We will go faster as we go through this. I don't want to spend 53 weeks or 52 weeks here a whole year. I think that's enough for today. And we're going to have communion now also. It's a good time to examine, as I hand out the bread and the juice, examine or remind yourself why you came to Jesus. And if you came to Jesus for any other reason than the salvation of your soul from going to hell because of your sins, this is a good time to straighten that out. If you came to Jesus because you wanted him to fix your marriage, if you came to Jesus because you wanted him to return a child, if you came to Jesus because you're in a financial bind, this is a good time to straighten all that out and to get to where you need to be with your walk with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a good time to do that as well. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave us very specific instructions to his disciples and explained to them exactly what's happening. He never promised them that they were never going to die as far as martyrdom goes. He never promised them that there wasn't going to be lean times in their life or that there wouldn't be health issues. You think about Paul and his eye problem, and you think about Timothy and his stomach problem and things that he... Guys he, that Paul left sick in Miletus, not everybody got healed in the New Testament. Not everybody had... Great eyesight. Not everybody had the health or the wealth. Jesus made it very clear. This cross that he's about to go to, this is the night before the cross, he explains to them what's going to happen. As he handed out the bread, he broke it. He gave thanks to God for it. He says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. My body is going to be sacrificed for you because sin requires death. And I don't want you to die, so I'm taking your sin upon myself, and I will die in place of you so that you can go to heaven, so that you can spend forever with the Lord. And I will go and prepare a place for you, and I will return and take you to that place. Those are the promises associated with this. Everything else, every every other promise we think we have in him isn't a promise. It's, it's something we brought into this. On the same night he took the cup, he says, this is the cup of my new covenant. 
The covenant of my blood that's going to be shed for you as often as you drink this. Do this in remembrance of me. My blood is going to be shed in place of yours. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats, all that other blood that was ever shed was all pointing to what's going to happen tomorrow when I go to the cross. I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And when I'm sacrificed tomorrow, truly the sin of the world is taken away. And your salvation rests in me. So that's why we eat and drink this morning. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior for that reason, we're going to pray now. And this is a good time to talk to him about that and to thank him for that. And maybe even ask for forgiveness for any other moments in your life where you found yourself in a corner with your arms crossed, wondering how come me or how come this or how come that. But all we really need to be thankful for and all that we're really guaranteed is eternal life with him. That's what we're guaranteed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And in turn, we give our lives back to him to spend, to use, to prove a point, to make him well known, to show that we don't have a relationship with God based off of stuff or blessings, but we have a relationship with God because of love. Very important we have that settled. Lord, we thank you for this time we get to have right now. Very thankful for it, Lord. You gave us this time to remind us that we do have hope, that we do have salvation in you, that you have died on the cross for our sins, that there is no sin for us to pay for anymore, that you've taken away our sin, that your sacrifice was accepted by God, and that we get to go to heaven forever. When we leave this world, we enter forever with you, and we're excited for that, God. And we live like that now, even though we're in enemy territory right now, where Satan is walking around like a lion seeking whom he can devour, strategizing as to how he can get into our lives and ruin us and cause us to curse you. Lord, we don't love you because of the stuff. We don't love you because of our health. We don't love you for any other reason but because you loved us first. And we return that love. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for taking care of the big deal. We thank you for taking care of the most horrible thing in our lives, and that was the sentence of death and separation from you. Thank you for that, God. And we love you, and we honor you, and use us, Lord. This morning, we want to rededicate our lives to you to be used however you want to use us. If you want to use us like Job, Lord, we, we don't know what we want to know. We want to prepare ourselves even now. If, if, you should, if you should decide to do that, that we're prepared in our hearts, Lord, help us to prepare. To have this settled in our minds and our hearts now. So that when life, when Satan does come, that we're prepared to give you glory, to bless your name, to make you known even in the hard times, even in the catastrophes even in the tribulations that come our way. We love you. In Jesus' name, what's he?
Lord, we thank you for this morning and the time we've had in your word. What a sobering book, but what a wonderful book to ground us, to get us to that place, to remind us of where we are, where we need to be, or at least show us where our feet are. If we're not where we need to be, if we're not on the path, if we're not grounded, Lord, we pray that that would take place. As we go through this book and we see so much misunderstanding from these other counselors and even some misunderstanding from Job, which gets straightened out in the end, we thank you for who you are, for your love for us, that you would even talk about us in heaven, that you would even nominate us. What an honor. Um, We'll let you pick who you want to pick. I don't know that any of us want to nominate ourselves or ask you to nominate us, but we hope that we would be prepared for that moment if it's if we're called upon, Lord. So we thank you for this time. Bless these people as they go. We do pray for health. We do pray for provision for all of them. We pray for you to be our guard, to put a hedge of protection around us, Lord, to build the walls high, to be our fortress, our stronghold. We pray for you to be our rear guard and our forward guard. We want a full armor of God. We want all of these things, Lord. We want them spiritually, though, Lord. Spiritually protect our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need... Oh, yeah. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.